0: We are grateful to you for all that you blessed us with in Christ, and we come before you humbly as your people, praying for your blessing upon our time of study and looking at your word. May you be glorified here as you expand our mind and our hearts together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we're going to finish up. Let me give you kind of a preview of where we're going in the next couple of weeks. We're going to uh, finish up today the doctrine of bodily resurrection, because there was a bunch of questions that came up last week, and I don't want to get off of that before we've sort of answered everybody's questions. And then there was a few things that I just didn't get to last week that I want to include in that before we wrap all that up. Next week, I won't be here. Um, and, of course, Jess isn't here either. So uh, we've asked um, Brian Wood if he would teach adult Sunday school class next week. So he's going to be doing that next week. And uh, I'm going up to preach in Creston, B.C., at Atmore's Church. And it was supposed to be the Blossom Fest, which is their annual big event that they do in the, the hockey arena where the community comes together, and there's always a bunch of unsaved people there. And he had asked me to come up and do that for Blossom Fest, and I said I would. And then the hockey arena is under renovation, so they've canceled that service in the hockey arena, and they asked me if I would, since I had already committed to do it, just come up and do the, take the Sunday at their church. So I've agreed to do that since I was already committed, and Dave Rich was already committed and studied up, ready to preach. I figured why... Why abort that? I'm finally able to get him into a pulpit, so I'll take that chance when I can. So he's going to preach next week, and um, in the following week, I'll be back for that Sunday. BODILY RESURRECTION. A couple of people asked last week if I could sort of sketch out the timeline, because as I went through the timeline of when the resurrections occur and what goes on with each of the resurrections in Scripture. Um if I could sort of flesh that out a little bit and give a little bit more detail cuz I think it was Drew that asked the question how, how do these things all unfold so can everybody see the chalkboard if I write on the chalkboard that's all right I actually hate chalk it's just I feel like Glenn Beck up here but ever since I was a kid I I think that um I think that the whiteboard and the dry erase markers were the best invention since fire cuz I hate chalkboards so with my teeth gritted Here we go. This is our timeline. So here we are. Let's just call this the present era. Okay? This is the church age in which we're in. So the first resurrection, the first part of the first resurrection was here at the ascension of Jesus or at the resurrection of Jesus. He is the first fruits of the first resurrection. Remember there are only how many resurrections? Two resurrections, right? The resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the unjust. The resurrection of the righteous and the resurrection of the wicked. The resurrection of the righteous doesn't all take place at one time. All the righteous participate in that resurrection, but at different different periods, depending on when they're living and what happens before and after they're here. So we are all part of the first resurrection, which is the resurrection to life. We're all part of that resurrection, but not all of the righteous, not all of those who are part of the first resurrection get their resurrected bodies at the exact same time. Jesus being the first fruits of the resurrection, as 1 Corinthians 15, he's the first fruits. He was the prototype, so to speak, the the initial, the initial harvest of the first resurrection. Now all of the righteous that are resurrected with him experience the same resurrection, resurrection of the righteous with the resurrection of the body, a glorified body, but in different phases as God unfolds all of what's coming in the future. So, the next major event is what we would call the rapture. Can't tell you how I'm looking forward to getting done with this chalk. The rapture, this is the snatching away of the church. So, you could put down here 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Those are the two passages that describe the rapture of the church. We who are alive and we will not all sleep, but we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. So we comfort one another with these lords. We look forward to the rapture of the church. Now you may object and say, well, the term rapture never occurs in Scripture. That's true. Neither does the term Trinity. But the term rapture simply describes this event, just like Trinity describes the doctrine of the triunity of God. So First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, specifically verses 51 through 58 describe the rapture. And there Paul says, we will not all sleep. We're not all going to die. Not all of us are going to die. There are some who will be alive when the Lord returns. And those who are alive when the Lord returns, we will be instantly transfigured. This mortal must put on immortality. This perishable must put on the imperishable. And we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air with all of the saints. So everybody who has died from the resurrection of Christ, all of the saints who are in Christ, and in Christ is a term that's used to describe... New Testament saints, not Old Testament saints. So we who have died in Christ as believers from the time that Christ was resurrected until the rapture of the church, this is when we all receive our resurrected bodies. So if you are a believer right now during this present era, one of two things will happen. Either you will die and go to be with the Lord, go to be with Christ, and you will come back with him to, to join your body, which will be resurrected here at the rapture. And then you will get your glorified body and go, to, go back to be with the Lord. Or you will be instantly transfigured. So if the Lord were to come right now, say in the next 15, 20 seconds, then what would happen is this mortal body instantaneously would be transfigured, transformed into immortal flesh, into your glorified body. So for those who have died, they get a resurrected body. For those who are alive when the Lord comes, their body is instantly transformed. Does that make sense so far? Anybody with me? Okay, this is still the first resurrection, the resurrection of the just. So no unbelievers have received their resurrected body yet. After this comes, I believe, a seven-year tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, in which basically God has picked up his plan with the nation of Israel again, because he's not done with the nation of Israel. So you go into Daniel, this would be, for those of you who really want to get into eschatology, this is Daniel's 69 weeks, is everything up here. Daniel's 70th week is, or sorry, 69 weeks ended with the coming and the cutting off of the Messiah. The 70th week, that one week of Daniel's prophecy happens right here during the seven year tribulation period. At midway point through that, the Antichrist makes a, uh, or sorry, at the beginning of this, the Antichrist will make a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. Halfway through that, he will cut off the peace treaty with the nation of Israel. He will turn his face against the nation of Israel, will set himself up in the temple. There will be another temple to be worshiped as God, and that will be the abomination of desolation. And that's what Jesus is speaking of. In Matthew 24 and 25, he's not talking about anything that happened in the in early church, anything that happened in church history. When he says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, run. Because God's going to pour out his wrath on the nation of Israel. And he will. And there will be, it's the last half of this tribulation, I believe, when you see the pouring out of God's wrath in the seven bowls, the trumpets, the vials, and all the other stuff, all that nasty stuff in the book of Revelation. That's when God just turns up the heat. And the intent of that period of time is to purge the nation of Israel and to turn them back to the Messiah. At the end of that seven-year period of time, and I know that there's a 40-some-odd, 60-some-odd days that are spoken of in Daniel, this sort of doesn't fit into this timeline some way, and I'm not sure where that comes. depends on what your eschatology is. I'm not going to get into that because we're dealing with the resurrections now. At the end of this period of time is the return of Christ. Oh, See, that's why I love chalk. Because when you do that and the chalk breaks and your fingernails scratch down the <clears throat> <laughs> Oh man, I shouldn't be I shouldn't be the only one to have all this joy. The resor- that's the return of Christ. And he comes back with his saints who have who have gone with him in glory during this period of time, okay? At the end of this period of time, at the end of the seven-year tribulation, you have people during this period of time who will be trusting in Christ. People who be beheaded for the sake of the gospel, for the word of God. They're going to lose their lives for their testimony for Jesus. They're faithful, and they're faithful all the way to the end. Many of them die. Some of them probably will live through the tribulation period of time. It will be a very small number, a remnant. But some of them will probably live through that. And we'll see the return of Christ. And this is what the prophets um, mean when they speak of Christ coming back and the Mount of Olives, Olives splitting and... Uh, a big valley being there. When Christ comes back, he destroys the Antichrist, destroys the false prophet, puts down all human government. At the end of the book of Daniel, we see that statue, or in the middle of the book of Daniel, we see that statue of um the head of gold and the chest of bronze and the legs of iron, the feet of iron mixed with clay, or however that goes. Clay. clay. The clay feet and that rock that's cut out that comes in and smashes the feet and brings to an end all human government. That is this event right here. So when the Old Testament prophets speak of him ruling with a rod of iron and putting down, putting down everything, all human government will come to an end right here. It will all be gone, over with, done. All of the wicked will be judged. When he comes back, he will snatch up. Remember Jesus' illustration, two will be grinding at the well and one will be taken and one will be left. Two will be lying in bed, one will be taken and one will be left. It is not the believer that's taken. That's not the rapture. That's the judgment. When he comes back, he's going to take out the unbelievers. They're going to be snatched out, harvested in judgment. And the judgment is going to be done worldwide. All human government will be put down. When he returns, he will return for one purpose, one primarily one purpose, and that is to set up his kingdom. So you get to the end of Revelation chapter, the beginning of Revelation chapter 20, and this is where you also at the same time have the resurrection of the more just. Not the more just, but more of the just happens right here. This is when, Revelation 20, all the Old Testament saints are resurrected. Remember we talked about the Old Testament saints looked forward to this period of time. They wanted to see the Messiah on the earth. Job says, I know that my flesh will be destroyed, but I will behold my Redeemer on the earth. Me and my own eyes, my own self, I will see my Redeemer take a stand upon this earth. All the Old Testament hope and expectation was for that. They wanted to see the Messiah, for him to come back, to rule, to reign, to live in that paradise, that restored Edenic type paradise that they anticipated. All the Old Testament saints died in anticipation of that, never having seen the fulfillment of that promise. Never having seen it. This is where they will get the fulfillment of that prophecy. So entering into, and this is this actually was providential because now we did everything in um, orange over here. So this period of time. Oh, <laughs> See with a dry erase board, you just go like this with your hand and, and nobody gets the shivers down their spine or anything like that. I am. (laughs) This period of time here is the kingdom that the Old Testament Jews were promised, that the Old Testament Jews anticipated. This is when Christ will be here physically living on this earth, ruling with a rod of iron, sitting on the throne of his father David, fulfilling all the Old Testament prophecies. You go through the Old Testament prophecies, and they are prolific. I mean, chapter after chapter after chapter describing this period of time. The Psalms look forward to this period of time. All the Old Testament t- anticipated this period of time. It's it's all over the Old Testament. I mean, you almost have to cut out probably two or three qu- two thirds or three quarters of your Old Testament to get away from this period of time known as we call it the Millennial Kingdom, and it's going to be a thousand years reign of Christ. Let's just put that an end to that right here. Yes? During the tribulation, there will be people who will die and
1: safety. saved people. And you said also oh, some will probably live through that to the end of the tribulation. What happens to those people? The ones that die and the ones that
0: are still living the right? Okay, the ones that died during this period of time are resurrected here at this resurrection with the Old Testament saints. Noah and David, Daniel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Isaiah. During the seven years, they remain dead until this resurrection when they receive their resurrected bodies. They get theirs with the Old Testament saints. Because the church has been taken out of the way. So you're dealing with people who are not necessarily part of the church. They fit in Daniel's 70th week. Hey, the church has been taken away. We're gone. So these believers here are believing in Christ, the Messiah, but they're believing in the same sense that Old Testament Jews believed in the Messiah. They just know who He is. So they're going to be resurrected right here with all the Old Testament saints. when they're still living, they, the saved ones, those who have, uh, they will enter into the millennium. They will live right through into that period of time. One will be taken and another will be left. And they will enter into the kingdom of Christ and they will live in regular, human, frail, mortal bodies in this thousand year reign of Christ for however long, maybe lived through it, maybe died during it, but they will enter into the millennium. At this point, everybody that comes into the millennium is saved. There are no unbelievers. All the unbelievers have been taken away in judgment. The beginning of this reign, there are no unbelievers. Everybody's saved. And then, glorified bodies for Old Testament saints and for you and I. But
1: the ones who live through the tribulation don't get glorified bodies.
0: They haven't died yet. They haven't died yet. So now the question, interpretive among theologians, even guys that would agree with me on this entire timeline, is, what happens to the saints who have come into this thousand-year reign? who are now alive during the millennial reign, and say year 500 they die, or 200, because Isaiah says that during this period of of the reign of the Messiah, if you die at 100 years old, you would be like dying as a child. Because lifespans will be longer. The effects of the curse, as far as can in a cursed creation, will be lifted. So people who die during this, there will be death during this thousand year reign of Christ, and there will be people with non-glorified human bodies having children. Because by the time you get to the end of this, there is a revolt of unbelievers. A thousand years is a long time to produce a lot of unbelieving people. Right? Okay, so you have people who are unsaved who died during this period of time. What happens to them? Well, we haven't got to them yet. People who are saved who died during this period of time, guys that would agree with me on this whole timeline would say one of two things happens. Either at the moment of their death, they're instantly transfigured and transformed and get their glorified body during the millennium at the moment of their death, or they're resurrected at the end of this thousand-year period of time but scripture just doesn't describe that resurrection because the, the Bible basically is silent upon what happens to the believers who die during this period of time. So we're left to speculate. Either there is a resurrection here at the end of this where all of the saved who have died during this thousand year get their body or they're just instantly transfigured much like you and I will be if the Lord were to come today before we die. Either one of those two is possible and I have a problem with either one of them. It could be either one. That makes sense? Does that answer your question? Steve? I I believe it's right here. I I believe it's, yeah, I believe it happens during this time period right here at some point. Because we are there with, with the bride of Christ is all there with him in resurrected form. The whole bride has been gathered in. All of the elect church has been gathered in and the Messiah, the bride, the bridegroom has received his bride. He has brought her back to himself in resurrected form, in glorified form. The entire church and the lamb sit down and enjoy the marriage supper of the lamb. Ruling and reigning with Christ on this earth. Because we come back, the saints come back with him in glory right here. So we rule and reign with the Old Testament saints. Now what that rule and reign, and this is what Jess asked me last week to explain, what the, that rule and reign look like looks like, I'm not exactly sure. It, the Bible describes ruling and reigning and having kingdoms and, and responsibilities and dominions given to the saints who rule with Christ. So in some fashion, we are going to be reigning with Christ. Now I don't know what that means, Whether I have a nation over which I rule or just a a few people or three people or two or one or my family or what, I don't know what that's going to look like, but the Bible describes it as ruling and reigning with Christ. We will be given responsibilities in this administration. You know how when a president, and you kind of see this a little bit in a a real perverted sense in our own government, and and just to borrow a real perverse illustration, when a president gets into the presidency, who does he bring with him? He brings with him all of his friends and his cronies and everybody who's sort of made it possible, and... Gives them delegated authorities within the administration and different oversight, and I believe that this rule and reign of Christ over this earth is going to be enough rule and responsibility and reign for us to rule with Him and have some sort of administrative oversight capacity in exercising that dominion. Who wants
1: to rule over like Moses
0: or? Well, it won't be me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't. To be honest with you, I don't don't nothing against you, but it's not going to be you, and probably not going to be me. So. No, it doesn't say that. It says that they had some sort of physical form. But it doesn't. It just says that Peter, James, and John recognized Moses and Elijah, Matthew 17. But it doesn't say what form they were in. They were in some sort of visible, visible form that they could see. Now, whether that was a spirit appearance that they were able to recognize or um, a temporary physical form or a temporary body that they were allowed to inhabit for that purpose. I don't know if it was like a hologram where they were able to see them or, or what that would look like, I don't know. But they did recognize that he was speaking with two people. Well, yeah, the two witnesses in Revelation, that Moses and Elijah. That I don't know. I, I think that's speculation. I, I think a case can be made that it's Moses and Elijah, and I don't have a problem with that. But if you were to make the case that it's not Moses and Elijah, I don't have a problem with that either. So we don't, that's not, not, not really germane to anything we're talking about here, really. Okay, so, Dave. Yeah, I'm not a mid-trib. No, I believe that, I believe that we are not appointed to wrath. First Thessalonians chapter five. This, this period of wrath is not for us, not for the church. It's not intended to purify the church. Christ is purifying the church now, is sanctifying the church through the water and through his word, through the Holy Spirit. This is not intended to purify us or be a judgment upon us. We're not appointed to that at all. Our judgment's been taken on Christ. At this moment here, there is not a believer on the face of the earth. Well, because there'll be plenty of Bibles lying around, and evangelistic materials, and tracts. I mean, there's the the witness, the and and you have the two witnesses during the tribulation who will be proclaiming uh, the truth. The other pastors who thought they were pastors, right? Thought they were saved. A lot of people who thought they were saved, and all of a sudden aren't, who are going to have a lot of resources and materials. The 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 evangelization of the lost is not dependent upon our existence. <laughs> this is, yeah, I think this is gonna be a tremendous evangelistic event right here. Not a believer, not a believer left on the face of the planet here. Not an unbeliever left on the face of the planet here. Seven years later.
1: Are, are you going to make a video?
0: Me? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. A video
1: to so leave here so that people coming in. Oh. You know, have, like, no. The, uh, end, or,
0: no. Let them believe the prophets. (laughs) I'm on record enough with the gospel. That's sufficient. Okay, so, Dorothy. I have a question
1: because I just read this recently. After rapture, all the believers are taken up. So, the Gentiles that become believers afterwards, do they have to be born after the rapture? In other words, the people that are left aren't going
0: to get that second chance? No, I don't believe that. That would, that would mean that you would have nobody in the tribulation to become saved who's over seven years old at the most. Okay, yeah.
1: so you believe that those that aren't raptured
0: will have a chance afterwards as they read scripture or something, we say Where were we when we stopped with the started with the questions? Everybody remember? So during this thousand year period of time, well what happens to people who die during the thousand year period of time who have entered as a believer and they die? The one or two options are either resurrect at the end and scripture doesn't mention it. Or they're admittedly transfigured in here at some point, much like happens at the rapture of the church. Okay, so up until at this point here, the rapture, all the believing all the believers, except Old Testament saints, all New Testament believers have got their resurrected bodies. At this point here, all the Old Testament saints and everybody who died after the rapture get their resurrected bodies. During the tribulation or during this millennial reign, let's just say during or sometime at the end, everybody who has believed from this point to this point. And is or and is a believer when they enter into this get their resurrected bodies. So by the time we get to this, it's basically we have three major events in which the resurrection of the righteous is unfolding. Three major events: the rapture, the second coming of Christ, and either during or end of the millennial reign. Because somebody somewhere in here has to get a res their resurrected the bodies if they die during the millennium as a believer. At the end of the millennium, there is a revolt that's spoken of in Revelation chapter 20, the revolt where the anti, um, where Satan is let loose out of the pit because he's bound during this thousand years in order to deceive the nations no longer. There's no more, longer any deception of Satan. Yet there are unbelievers here who have, even in spite of the fact that the, the king of truth is on the throne, they have not submitted the knee, they have not bowed the knee, they have not repented, they have not believed, they have resisted him, they know they hate him, he knows that they hate him. At the end of this period of time, Satan is loose and he goes out and he leads a revolt, basically of all the disenfranchised people under here who have hated the rule of truth for a thousand years. And he leads a revolt, and at the end of that, that's when the Battle of Armageddon takes place. And they are entirely put down. Entirely put down at the end of this. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay. Then oh I have to pick it up again. <laughs> then there is Revelation chapter twenty. This is where the resurrection of all of the damned that have lived since the time of Adam all the way up until the end of the reign of Christ. This is the resurrection of the unjust. And this is the Old Testament wicked, Pharaoh, and New Testament wicked, Hitler. Everybody who is unsaved, unredeemed, gets their resurrected body right here. And this is the great white throne judgment the Great White Throne Judgment. And the books are opened, and all those whose names have not been written in the Lamb's Book of Life are judged according to their deeds. All adulterers and fornicators and liars and thieves and blasphemers and gossips and slanderers and all of those who have rejected Christ are judged, not because they've rejected Christ, they're rejected for their deeds, they're judged because of their deeds. The basis of this judgment is based upon their deeds. Have they lied, have they stolen, have they cheated, have they blasphemed, have they committed fornication, adultery, murder? All of them get their judgment, their sentence, right here at the Great White Throne Judgment at the end of that great white throne judgment, no believer is judged here, by the way. Our sins, we, we there's no judgment in here for believers. You and I are never judged for our sins. Never, ever. Never have to stand before the Lord and answer for my sins. My works are judged. My works are determined whether they last or whether they get a reward. But I never have to account for my sins because all my sins have been laid upon Christ. He took all of them. So there's no resurrection. There's no judgment for believers through all of this. The only judgment is right here at the end for unbelievers. They get the resurrection of the unjust, and that's where they get their bodies. There's no resurrections after this. So up until this point here, all Old Testament and New Testament saints have got their resurrected bodies. Here, all the Old Testament and New Testament wicked get their resurrected bodies. And then this period of time here, and how long this takes, I think it'll probably be instantly or pretty quickly, is where 2 Peter chapter 3, where the the elements that are around us right now melt with a fervent heat. Everything is judged by fire. It is all destroyed, everything, the present heavens and the present earth, all destroyed by fire entirely. And then, Revelation chapter, is it 21, or the end of chapter 20, the new heavens and the new earth, in which righteousness dwells. And this is, if you will, the resurrection of the cosmos. This is what we talked about last week, and I'm done with this, so I can put my fingers out there. That is the resurrection of the cosmos in which this creation is resurrected. Jesus Christ's death is atonement on the cross, and what he did was not just to save believers, and it was to redeem not just our spirits, but also our bodies. We get a resurrected body, and also to resurrect and redeem the entire creation. And that goes back to Romans chapter 8. The whole creation groans. Animals, plants, stars, everything groans under the curse of of Genesis chapter 3. It all groans under the curse and it longs for the resurrection or the redemption of the whole cosmos. Not only does my body groan for a new body, my spirit groan for a new body, but all of creation groans for its new resurrected state. Okay, It's going to be in some form. Oh, yeah, can you throw that up here? She's got lotion. Oh. <laughs> that, oh, no. That right there is a little slice of heaven. <sighs> all right. Seven year period there? Yeah. You said there's
1: going to be Bibles, tracts, and all that. Who's going to be there
0: to interpret it? The Holy Spirit will still be active and present during this period of time. Yeah. See, uh, maybe, maybe the question here is built upon the false assumption that in order for me to get saved, I have to have somebody there to explain that to me. There is enough of the gospel in explained form in books, tracks, tapes, websites, pamphlets, everything today. The world is filled with the gospel and Christian doctrine explained. And I think that once the church is gone... People are going to be breaking into my house saying, what did he know that I didn't know? Why is he gone? I'm going to find out what in the world is going on. Because this, and, and this guy who's claiming to be the answer to all of our problems, who promised hope and change and all that other good stuff, um, that's not cutting it. Well,
1: God's going to be drawing in...
0: And the Spirit of God is going to be drawing ones, and there's going to be, um... you know, this whole Sunday school has been about my hands and that chalk so far. <laughs> Um, God is going to be drawing the ones that are the elect and bringing them to salvation and there is going to be plenty of opportunity and understanding for them to get saved
1: for one
0: yeah i I believe that many will get saved a lot of them will get saved in a very quick fashion after that are they the to No, they'll be saved. They'll be saved or marked at this sometime during that seven-year tribulation period. Okay. So, Al. uh, We've
1: talked about uh, the uh, ever since I can remember is uh, the revelations was doomsday. uh, It was portrayed as doomsday and and be, you know, uh, gloom and doom and not looking forward to. Yeah. We should, be, that's what we should be looking
0: forward to. Yeah. If you're an unbeliever, then everything I've scratched out on this is bad news. There's not a good news event in any of this for you. But if you're a believer, oh, 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 I cannot wait till this event right here. I mean, and then the Lord starts wrapping up this whole thing and says, That's it, I'm done. Enough is enough. Once the author steps onto the stage, the play is over. And that's what's going to happen when the Lord comes back. He's going to step onto the stage. And this whole play is going to be over with. He's going to come back and say, it's done, I'm taking over. And one of the marvels of this reign of Christ, and this I think is is key, this is going to demonstrate the depravity of man's heart more than anything you have ever seen ever in your life. Everybody right here is going to be a believer. During this period of time, a thousand years, people are going to be having children, not glorified bodies, not us, not the saints, who have glorified bodies, people, unglorified saints, and unbelievers will be having children, and they will be living under as close to a perfect perfect administration, in as close to a perfect environment as you could possibly get. There will be no Satan to deceive anybody. And you would think, well, then everybody should always be believers, right? No. The problem is not Satan. It's not human government. It's not our environment. All of those things are done away with during this period of time, and yet, at the end of this tribulation period, you still have what? Unbelievers who hate Christ, because the problem is not... Our environment, it's not who's in office, it's not the administration, it's not the government, it's not Satan. The problem is that men love darkness rather than light. And you're going to see, we're going to see this during the thousand year period of time like you've never seen it in the history of mankind, how man loves darkness rather than light. They will not be able to get away with expressing their darkness because he's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. And justice will be done swiftly and severely and instantly and it will be dealt out. There will be no going through the channels and appealing to this court and that court and a jury of the peers, nothing. Justice will be meted out swiftly, severely, and instantly for disobedience and rejection and rebellion. But at the end of this period of time, man is going to have an opportunity and Christ is going to allow him to do it, an opportunity to revolt. And then Christ is going to put that down and that will be the end of it all. And then the resurrection of the cosmos. So you have the resurrection of the righteous. Remember the two resurrections of the righteous, Christ being the first fruits, all the... Saints, Old Testament and New Testament, participate in the resurrection of the righteous. Some at the, resur- at the rapture, some at the return of Christ, and some during or at the end of the millennium. It takes place in phases. The Old Testament saints and the Old Testament, uh, sorry, all of the Old Testament and New Testament wicked, that's the second resurrection. The resurrection to justice takes place at one instant, and that's right here. A brief reprieve from the judgment that they're in now to get their sentence before they enter into an eternal hell, in which there will never be a brief reprieve. <clears throat> and then... What are they doing right now during the suffering. In a, state, in a spirit state, yeah. Without a body. Eternal hell and eternal heaven are spent in a body. And this is why it's key to remember what the nature of resurrection is. It's not a resuscitation, nor is it a spiritual resurrection. It's physical bodies we get. The bodies of the saints, which the New Testament talks a lot about, the bodies of the saints are fit for eternal life, eternal joy, eternal bliss, and eternal heaven in the presence of Christ. To enjoy him. That's My eyes will see him as he is. See, if I were to see Jesus Christ right now, it would dissolve me entirely. But in a resurrected body without any sin, I can do that. And that's what Job looked forward to when he says, I know that my Redeemer will take a stand upon the earth, and I will see him. Even though this body is going to rot and become a carnival for worms, I know that I will see my Redeemer live. And my eyes will see him, and I will behold him. When is Job going to see that take place? That was Job's anticipation. This is what he was waiting for. It's what all the Old Testament saints were waiting for. And and look, this is my this is my beef with all millennialists and postmillennialists who say there is no really any millennial reign. Well then what hap- what did, if I'm an Old Testament saint, I'm awfully upset that all of a sudden all my blessings have been given to somebody else based upon somebody else's disobedience. What do you mean? I live my whole life waiting for this. This is what Saints for thousands of years have waited for. I want to stand with my Redeemer on this earth and enjoy it. And Job knew that he would have that. And
1: you're absolutely sure that it's not talking
0: about the new earth. It can be talking about the new earth because the resurrection of the cosmos takes place later on. What, what you have, you have mentions of people dying during the, during this kingdom at a hundred years old and still being dying like an infant. No. No. Nothing unrighteous will ever enter the resurrection of the cosmos. No sin or no unrighteous. There will be re- there will be unrighteous here during the millennium. And I
1: suppose there's really no reason to have people reigning with Christ in the new heaven. There won't be
0: any. Well, in the in heaven we will be given some sort of responsibility or work to do. We'll have some sort of, we're going to exercise dominion over the resurrected cosmos. See, let's go back before the present era, back to the Old Testament, back to creation, 6,000 years ago, clear over here. At the moment of creation, the, the, the mandate to man was exercise dominion over the planet. Well, how long did that last? Long enough for Adam to name the animals, and then that was it. And then everything went south. Man has never, never exercised dominion over this creation the way he should. We make vain attempts at it. We do what we can to eliminate disease and weed our gardens and eliminate the, mitigate the effects of the fall and expand and and do all of those things and sort of bring everything under it. But we have never exercised dominion in the way that God intended. And at the beginning, at creation, the the whole goal or the aim of creation was for God to dwell with his creatures on earth. And sin, and God allowed sin, I'm not saying it's happened without his knowledge or allowance or anything like that, sin destroyed all of that. Well, at some point, everything that he started to do back at the beginning of Genesis is going to be completely restored and made new. And God is going to have his way. He's going to dwell, and he's going to rule, and he's going to reign with his people on a planet. So the present heaven is not where heaven is going to be. Heaven is going to be on this planet in a resurrected form. So if you can imagine the original creation, I think, times a gazillion. If you can imagine this world times a gazillion times a gazillion without any of the effects of sin, I mean this whole creation is so marred. We think it's beautiful. It is so marred by sin. It doesn't even it pales in comparison to the original creation. And it pales in comparison to what the resurrected heavens and earth is going to be like. The new heavens and the new earth is going to be a physical planet. This is what's hard for us to get by cuz we we think in terms of everything being spiritual. Spirits good, materials bad. No, God's God made the material and said it's good. It's very good. And at the end of it, it's all we're going to spend eternity in physical bodies on a physical planet.
1: What so would Adam and Eve had
0: no, Adam and Eve would have had this type of body but without it wasn't a glorified body. It's a natural earthly body, but one that was not subject to death. Well they may, I don't know if they would have aged or not. they may have aged, but they wouldn't have died. I'm not sure that aging is a result of the fall. Death certainly is. But growth and development itself is not a result of the fall. Well, yeah, but but the aching, the deterioration of this body is a result of the fall. Death of this body is a result of the fall, but not the development of my body. Otherwise, Adam and Eve would have had children and would have stayed children. But they would have had to have aged to a point of maturity. Does that make sense? So that was part of God's original design and creation for this planet, that Adam and Eve would have children, that they would mature, that they would age, that they would grow up. And I think that Adam and Eve would have been able to look at their children and say, well, this one's one year old and this one's 15 years old. There would have been a difference. They would have aged. Even in a non-sin environment, they would have aged. But they wouldn't have died they wouldn't have gotten diseased. I don't know how long you would look for the rest of your life. That I don't know. So that is the unfolding of the resurrection of the resurrections. Um, Thomas, I was just going to move on.
1: Uh, I know. There were, no, there were no births prior in the
0: garden. To the fall. Prior to the fall, no births. Right. Right.
1: And there are, but you're talking about births, and you're talking about the new heaven. Are there, there aren't going to be any births in the new heaven, are there? No.
0: So are you sure that they were designed to have children? Adam and Eve? Yeah. Yeah, because the mandate was to go, if I'm not mistaken... The mandate was to go forth, be fruitful, and multiply before the fall. Before the fall? And fill the earth.
1: Maybe they just say, Go multiply. Sorry. That's a little heresy. Go 40.
0: Yeah, that's it, 128. Thanks. 128, and that was before the fall. So, so um, the thing, the whole, the whole point of starting this doctrine of the resurrection was to get you to see that the Old Testament saints always looked, all of them looked forward to, we look forward to the redemption of our bodies, the resurrection of our bodies. We need to get a new body someday. And we're going to dwell for all of eternity with God on a new heavens and a new earth. Perfect. A perfect planet. They say, what's that? And this is hard for people to get past because they want to think, well, there can't be trees there. I love trees, but trees are part of this creation, so they must be sinful. Well, trees were here before the fall, so trees aren't inherently sinful. Neither are animals. Neither are rivers or streams. There's going to be a city. What happens in cities? There's all kinds of commerce and activity and arts and entertainment and fellowshipping and socializing. There's trade. There's all of these things that go on on a planet. None of those things are inherently sinful. It's only this creation minus sin. It's sin that's taken out of the way. Not the activities of daily life that saints could and should enjoy without sin. About It'll be universal.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Finally, one uh, health care plan I can get behind.
1: There won't be any sickness.
0: No sickness and disease, tired. right. Yep. Dorrow. Peggy? Who die. Well, what about the resurrection of babies? Well, of course, now I, I taught this for two, three weeks, several weeks ago. I believe that all, all who die in infancy before they are able to understand the gospel or all who die in a state where they cannot be held accountable because they cannot understand the gospel, and that could be somebody who's severely retarded or severely handicapped. All of them, I believe, go to heaven. They, they get the righteousness of Christ imputed to them. It's a theological justification. A transaction takes place. They get that righteousness imputed to them on the basis of grace, grace on the basis of what Christ did. So when are they resurrected? I would, I would believe that during whatever period of time that happens, that will determine when they're resurrected. Okay. So if it happens during the present era, they're resurrected at the right rapture. If it happens during the tribulation, it resu- they participate in this resurrection. It happens during the millennium. They participate in this resurrection or during the millennium. But what, here's the question is what, how old are they or how big are they? Do they grow? In the res, in a resurrected state, do they grow? Okay, well, there's one of two possibilities. Either we are resurrected and we get our glorified bodies. There's three possibilities. Either we're resurrected and get our glory. no, this would still be two. Hold on. We're either resurrected at the age at which we die or we are resurrected at whatever maturity is, which for us, and this situation seems about 30 or 35 years old is kind of when our bodies sort of reach their optimum healthy state. Normally speaking, not all the time, but normally speaking, it seems that we kind of go uphill to then we sort of reach the peak of physical health, stamina, ability, prowess, whatever, and then we deteriorate very quickly after that. So we either are resurrected. What's that? <laughs> very quickly. We're either resurrected at the point at which we die, the state at which we die, or resurrected as mature in a mature body. I would lean toward the mature body. Um, There's nothing in my theology, and this I throw out with with my caveat of this is sanctified speculation. There's nothing in my theology that says that God cannot resurrect a baby at the stage at which it died and then allow its mother in the millennium or in the new heavens and the new earth to have the joy of raising that infant to maturity. So... That's a good question. Well, I guess you could, yeah, you gotta throw a wrench into my plans. Well, then that wouldn't be resurrected at the, at the, um, age of maturity. The mother wasn't saved. That's a good question. There's nothing in my theology that says a baby cannot be resurrected as a baby and then, and then allowed to be raised by its mother. Take Andrea, for instance, who lost Ian a couple years ago. There's nothing in my theology that says that during the millennium, Andrea will not be able to raise Ian. The perfect creation. From the point of being a baby in a glorified body to the point where it gets mature, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I'm just saying I don't know of anything in Scripture that says it couldn't happen. So I throw that out. That's possible. Some people have said that. I, I don't know. I'm lean toward the idea that we will be all of us will be resurrected in a state of maturity, whatever that looks like. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um. Let me deal and I'll just give I'm just gonna devote thirty seconds or a minute to this real quick and then we'll be done with the resurrection of the body. Unless, are there more questions, by the way? <laughs> Drew. I okay, one quick question. Um, the Old Testament
1: says where are they right now? I know we've covered this
0: They're with Christ. they with Christ right now. In a spirit form. Yep. Not in a resurrected body. Um, this whole theology of the resurrection of the body, everything I've laid out here has implications for the issue of cremation versus burial. And I get asked this quite frequently, about once or twice a year, I get asked, what about creation? Is it okay? As people are planning their wills, except they want to, is it okay to burn my body when I'm gone? I would say, if you want to do that, that's fine. But there, the theology of bodily resurrection comes into this. In the Old Testament, the people in the Old Testament, except for those who held to a Judeo, a Ju- Judaistic view of the body, burned the dead. Jews buried their dead. Do you remember Joseph in Egypt when he died? He asked that his bones be taken up into the land of promise. Why? Why didn't they just burn his bones? There's a reason why the Jews buried their dead, why Christians historically have buried the dead instead of burned the dead. Why is that? Because to a pagan, nihilistic, unsaved, humanistic, all of that worldview, the body is the thing that hinders me. But to a Christian, my body is the thing in which I'm going to spend all of eternity. The hindrance for the Christian is not the body, it's sin. The glory for a Christian is the resurrected body. So Jews and Christians would bury the dead because it was a theological statement that said, we believe that God will raise this body up in a better form someday. They didn't burn the dead. Pagans burned the dead. They, they wanted to be done with the body, just annihilate it, get rid of it. Because in their theology, to be gone from the body was to finally be liberated. But in a Christian theology, liberation is not being away from the body. Liberation is having my body, but without sin. It's being done with sin. So that's the difference between burying and burning the body. There is a theological reason why Christians bury their dead instead of burn their dead, historically, not all the time, but historically. It was a statement of saying we believe that God is going to raise up what we are now putting in the ground, that the body is sacred, and so we treat it as sacred even after it is the spirit is gone because the body itself is not the problem. God will raise this up again, and he will raise it up in a glorified and new form. That was the hope and anticipation of the Jews. That was the hope and anticipation of Christians. That's why historically Christians have buried the dead rather than just say, Hey, let's just burn the bodies. Now you say, Well, is it sin for you to burn a body or to cre- be cremated? No. Does being cremated affect when, when or how you're resurrected? No, I don't think it does at all. Jenny? Can you explain how being
1: buried and just becoming dust slowly
0: is more respectful than burning and dust? It's not it's it's not the becoming dust or how we become dust that is the statement. What is the theological statement is how we treat the body afterwards. The, the act of burial itself was a theological statement that we're looking forward to resurrection. You
1: no, know, it was a statement based on theology, not a theological. Uh, you know, it, was a,
0: it was a practice that had theological underpinnings. Right, that's the way to say it. It, it
1: wasn't really an edict
0: per se. No, it wasn't, and it's not mandated. And that's what I'm trying to say. I mean. it's, not, sure. it's not mandated that I bury, bury rather than burn the body. It's just that there is, it, the, what I do with my body comes back to this. There is a reason why Christians and Jews buried, and it's because of what I've just laid out here. That's the theology behind the practice of burial. Burial is not just, well, I prefer to be eaten by worms than burned in a fire. It's how people say, I don't want to be burned up. I want to, I don't don't want to be burned up at all. I want to be buried. I don't like the idea of being in fire. Well, you're not going to be there. You're not going to care, really. It's, It's not you at all. It's, now, will I be, I'll, I'm going to be buried instead of burned. Just because this, because of this, really. If I didn't believe any of this, I would want to be burned. Why, why take up the space in the ground? So it's not, and don't get me wrong, cremation is not a sin. Having somebody else cremated is not a sin. None of that. It's, it's, Bible doesn't mandate that you bury the dead. It just, there is a reason why people have practiced burial rather than burning. That's it. And this is the theology behind it. But it doesn't mean that not doing that, not burying, is a sin. Thomas. So it's sort of like putting a Christian epitaph
1: on your stone. It's just a statement to those who observe.
0: It's more than a statement to those who observe. It's how we treat the body when it's dead.
1: It's a statement by uh, of how you treat you know you're treating the body in this particular way to make a
0: statement. Well, I'm treating the body in this particular way because of this. Now, what that says to other people does make a statement. But my primary objective is not to make the statement. My primary objective is to say, I believe the body is sacred itself, in a sense, because God's going to resurrect it. So it comes back to this. This is why I believe the body is sacred. And so because I believe the body is sacred, I'm going to treat it a certain way when I die. Now, I think that's up to the conviction of every individual Christian. It has no, what you do with your body has no underpinnings whatsoever with whether you participate in this at what stage whatsoever. No, I didn't. Don. Yeah, and their bodies are... Well, look, everybody, even Joseph's body is completely deteriorated right now. So whether the body is deteriorated or not doesn't determine the state of resurrection or the act of resurrection itself. Yeah, the body still goes into the water as opposed to... (laughs) Look, I don't care. One way or the other... Burn it, bury it, put it on the moon. I just, I don't. He's going to recreate our body, right, from the elements. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my body's going to go into the elements one way or the other. Peg? Peg? Yeah, pagans did b- burn their dead. They typically did burn the dead, but because they had a they had a view of the body, to them there was no resurrection. Christians and Jews are the only religions in the world that venerate the body. And I don't mean venerate as in worship, but have respect for and honor the body because we believe it's going to be resurrected again. This is, Jews, Jews, and Christians are the only ones that have this type of theology, which is why Jews and Christians typically have buried the dead rather than burned it. No, no. Yeah. We're, we're already way over time here. T- uh,
1: there's, there's verses in the Bible, I can't think of them, but, but refer to the body as a tent for the spirit, for our spirit right. to dwell in. So if it's a tent, that's you know, disposable. It is Man, yeah. this body
0: is disposable, and this earth is disposable as well, yeah, okay, Steve, real quick, then we got
1: right? yeah, they did a pagan group
0: of people that... yeah, false religions, right, but see for them they didn't even they weren't even looking forward to a resurrection though they were looking forward to an afterlife in which all of these things were supposed to go with them, so there's hints in that of this type of a scenario or an afterlife but different from the christian view of resurrection so let's quickly pray and then we're done i'm sorry that went so long lord we are grateful for this morning thank you for the time that we've had and help us to crystallize these things in our minds to understand them and to anticipate the great future that you have for us your church and we are grateful for it thank you for this time again in jesus name amen